May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, word association game. I want you to think of the first thing that pops into your head when I say the words, good neighbor. Some of you even said it, yeah. I'm guessing that probably 85% of you or more, it was State Farm, or Jake from State Farm, or maybe the little tune, right? Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If we are to believe the seemingly ubiquitous commercials, Jake is the kind of neighbor you want, right? Your State Farm agent is there to help when, when there's a problem. When there's a danger, he's there to warn. When you need him, he's just a phone call away wearing his khakis and red polo, ready to jump in and do anything you need. But this is not a State Farm commercial. This is real life. <clears throat> and so, by the end of this sermon, I'm hoping that when you hear the words good neighbor, you're thinking of something a little better than some khakis and a red polo on the other end of a phone line. I, I, I hope that you're thinking of something a whole lot closer to home. You. Because today Jesus teaches us to be good neighbors. Jesus makes us good neighbors. And actually, I'll, I'll take it a step further and, and help to kind of define what makes a good neighbor. Today, Jesus makes us loving neighbors. He does that by teaching us what a loving neighbor is and then by showing us what a loving neighbor is. And of course, our text is that Good Samaritan story. You've heard it before. Everyone has heard the Good Samaritan. Even, even unbelievers, even people who are biblically illiterate, they at least know the term Good Samaritan. I mean, there are Good Samaritan laws on our books, and they use that term, a biblical term, because everybody gets it, that it's good to be good to people, even people we don't know. But today, Jesus wants to teach us much more. Jesus wants to teach us what it means to be a, a, a loving neighbor. And, and, and you heard in, when I read it to the kids that he's telling the story to actually answer a question. So the text starts with this teacher in the law, this teacher in the Old Testament, testing Jesus. But pretty quickly we see that Jesus is putting each one of our hearts to the test, Right? What do I have to do? That's the question the lawyer asks. What do I have to do? It's a question our hearts are pretty familiar with, aren't they? Whether it's the student trying to figure out what she needs to do to pass the, the class or the employee trying to figure out what he needs to do to uh, get the raise or the spouse trying to figure out what they need to do to ease the tension, our hearts know that question. What do I have to do? And Jesus, before he even tells the story, makes it pretty clear. The answer is simple, right? Just do the right thing. 
God has given pages and pages of his law showing us what the right thing is. And, and even this guy who came trying to test Jesus, even this guy understood what the law was all about. Look at the answer he gives to Jesus when he says, well, how do you read the law? Jesus says, this is a great answer. Verse 27, <coughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. But then notice what happens when Jesus agrees with his answer. He says, you're right. And right away, it says that the lawyer felt like he had to justify himself. You see where he's coming from? He had just said, all I have to do is love God and love my neighbor. And and, and right away, he has to, to justify himself. We can relate to that, right? Yeah, God, I know I'm supposed to love you, but what about, and then we can fill in that sentence with a hundred different scenarios, right? Yeah, God, I know I'm supposed to love you, but, but what about when that's not really convenient? What about when my schedule is really packed or my budget is really tight? You really don't want me to sacrifice for you then, do you, God? Or God, yes, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but what about that neighbor? What about the one that, that's, I don't even like? Or the, the one that doesn't really seem to love me? That's the one that, that the lawyer put into words as he was trying to justify himself, right? You, you see his question. Yeah, Lord, I, I hear you saying love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? You see what he's doing with that question? He's trying to find a loophole in the law. He's trying to take the bar of God's law and lower it to a point where he figures he can reach it, right? Who is my neighbor? I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but, but there's got to be some. That can't possibly mean all, right? Where's the line? What do I have to do? What's enough, right? There are some people I can make excuses for not loving. And so Jesus tells a story. He kind of had to, right? If he just says the words, well, then we'd try to redefine them. Our, our sinful pride has astounding ability to make excuses for not doing what we should do, for, for, for uh, rationalizing away God's expectations of us. And we try to do it with the law. We try to make the law about me, right? What do I have to do? What's in it for me if I do it? Where is my reward? And Jesus teaches that it's not about us at all. Those are the wrong questions. The answer is that it's about God, why we do it. It's about love, what we do, and it's about others, who we do it for, not about us. And until I see that, I will be banging my head against the wall, trying to do the right things for the wrong reasons and end up even making the right things wrong. So go back to the the student, the employee, and the spouse that I brought up earlier, trying to figure out what they had to do. You know the answer, right? For the student, it's not just about figuring out the right set of data points to memorize so that they can pass a particular test, but it's about 
studying the subject matter, all of it. And in doing that, she gets smarter and she learns to learn and then the grades just become a byproduct of that, right? For the employee, it's not figuring out the one or two hero save the day moments that he can do in front of the boss so that the boss gives him the raise, but if he would just set his mind to being the best possible employee he could be, to fulfilling the purpose that he has there and finding joy in that, one, it's going to be a whole lot more rewarding work situation, but two, that gets noticed. And for the spouse, it's even more clear, right? If it's just the checklist, well, if I do this and this and this, well, then I'll get this and this. That doesn't work, does it? It's wanting to do those loving and kind and caring things. That's what builds love, and and that's what inspires love. The neighbor that we should be asking the questions about is not them, it's me. The question isn't who is my neighbor, but am I a good neighbor? Am I a loving neighbor? And that isn't limited to those I like or those who are like me. That isn't limited to those it's convenient to be a good neighbor to, or even painless. Being a loving neighbor hurts sometimes. Think of the story. That was a dangerous situation, right? There had obviously been robbers there. They had beaten the man and taken everything. They could still be there hiding. If someone goes and helps them, they're they're putting themselves in possible danger, right? It wasn't an easy thing to help. But, But you heard the story, right? The priest comes by. He sees the man in need. And he keeps on walking. And he had his excuses, right? Add to the danger of the situation the fact that he was a priest, if he goes over there and the guy's actually dead, or if, if the guy dies on his watch, the priest becomes unclean and he's not allowed to do his job in the temple until he's made clean again. So he had his reasons. But it doesn't matter, does it? No one listening to the story Jesus told said, yeah, that priest did the right thing. Same thing with the Levite. He walks past and sure, he had his reasons. I mean, his, his leader, his authority had just done the same thing. And of course, we want to follow our authority. We want to do what, what, what pleases them, but that doesn't matter. No one hearing the story said, yeah, that Levite did the right thing. It was the Samaritan. The one who would you least expect to be good and the one who had the most to lose. Think about it. If anyone else came upon the Samaritan helping that, that Jewish man, you know, you see the Samaritan, an unconscious guy, in the land of the Jews, well, that guy's lucky if he ends up in jail. That was dangerous. But the Samaritan didn't ask the question, well, what about me? What should I be concerned about me in this. He saw the man in need and he helped. He loved. He sacrificed. He went out of his way to go over and above to help this man who 
who, if he would have been conscious, would have run away from the Samaritan. That's how the, the Jews and Samaritans treated each other. But the Samaritan gave his oil and his bandages and his wine and his money. He, he put the man on his donkey and he walked leading the man to, to the, the inn, to the village. And he gave his money and committed to following through with, with even more. Those are not the kind of things you do when you are asking the question, what do I have to do? Those are not the kind of things you do when you are saying, well, how much is enough? Those are the kind of things you do when Jesus makes you a loving neighbor. When we realize that the law is love for God and love for others, not love for myself, that I use love for God and love for others as a tool to help benefit myself. So Jesus makes us loving neighbors. How? Well, by telling the story, by teaching us. But we can't miss in here how he makes us loving neighbors by by showing us the way. In the story, it was, it was the Samaritan that saw the man injured and wounded and didn't pass by, and he helped and he gave and he loved, right? But in real life, it's the teller of the story, Jesus. He saw us injured and wounded for, for all the times we've been selfish in our view of love, for all the times we've made excuses instead of loved, for all the times we've tried to rationalize away God's expectations of us, in other words, for all the times we've sinned, Jesus saw us. He saw us more in need than that beaten and bloodied man on the side of the road, more spiritually dead than anyone in the story. And he came. He came to risk everything. More than risk. He knew what he was doing. He came to be the one who didn't have a place to lay his head so that he could prepare a place for us. He came to be the one who went without food so that he could give us the bread of life. He came to die so that we could live. Like he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You hear that? Jesus was love. He was the loving neighbor who did for us. And he succeeded. He made us better. He made us what what we weren't. By paying our price and substituting his perfection, Jesus makes us what we weren't. He makes us loving neighbors. Which is why he can say what he does at the end of the story. Verse 37. Go and do likewise. Be a loving neighbor. And if you're looking for some ways to do that, ways to challenge yourself to get out of the old habit of just just loving those who are loving, Take a look at the commitment card. I don't know if I already grabbed one on the way in, but there are some in the, in the gathering area out there online. You can find them on our website too. Go to the God Lived Life link. Take a look. All sorts of, of opportunities to challenge yourself to live that love. 
Right? Maybe it's picking someone up for church who doesn't have a ride. Maybe, maybe it's, it's going to visit one of our members who can't make it out to come to church and, and sharing God's word with them. Maybe it's, it's, it's raking someone's lawn or doing some yard work. So many different opportunities, but, but the important thing is not the, the what, it's the why. Because God has made you those, those loving neighbors. Being a loving neighbor is not figuring out an excuse for why I don't have to do that particular thing. It's not even just doing things. It's doing things out of love. So may God grant you grace to see that love in Jesus and then to live your God-lived life in Christ. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's rise and confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed, printed on page 8 in the bulletin.